All right. Well, we're going to get started momentarily. Are you guys alive? Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. Hopefully, everyone's doing well and has had a uh, good weekend thus far. This is our last session with Mr. Friel. So, maybe for some of you, that's a great, a great thing. I don't know. Uh, but we'll do hermeneutics still for a couple weeks after this. Um, it's hard to position this in a way where there won't be a reflection, so I'm going to leave it there. Um, so this is our last time watching the videos with Todd Friel, and we're going to cover a couple of New Testament passages this week. Does anyone have their notes from last week, perchance? I did not print out any more, so sorry about that. I don't remember how much I printed out last week, if we went all the way to the end with those notes or not. Uh, but if you have those, and you could glance at those and let me know, that could be helpful. But we are, we are going to look at two passages today in the New Testament and apply our four-step method to those passages. Okay? Um, and those will be in Revelation 4 and Ephesians 2. So you could go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Revelation 4 and have that ready if you want. Um, and yeah, actually, we're going to go through it before we watch the video, so everybody needs to turn there. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to go through our four-step process before we hear from Mr. Friel and what he comes up with. And you'll need to pay attention closely when he gives his explanation of things, because uh, he has an interesting interpretation of Revelation 4. I'm not sure if he's misspeaking or if he really believes what he says, but when I watched it in preparation for this class, I thought, that's strange, and so we'll talk about that. But uh, perhaps at first it would be better to go over the four steps, and then we can apply them to Revelation 4. So let's talk about these. I've got them written up here, observation, interpretation, and I wrote principle instead of principalization because principalization is a made-up word. Also, uh, the way he spells it, it's made up, but... Um, there's another way of spelling it that applies to mathematics. I just don't like the word. Principle, observation, interpretation, principle, and then application. So let's talk about what these steps are. What is observation? What are we doing in step one with observation? Just shout out some answers. Real, keep it real basic. What are we doing in observation? Okay. <laughs> Jen started us out as basically as possible. Yes, we are observing. Good. Okay. Now let's build on that. Okay, good. So, we could say context, right? Context. What else? Whoa. Well, let's name one more thing besides context that we're doing in observation. Okay, good paying attention to the genre. And that's going to be really important in our first passage this morning in the book of Revelation, isn't it? Because in the book of Revelation, we have some things written in ways that are a little abnormal. So we need to pay attention to, okay, this is the book of Revelation. What about interpretation? What are we doing in interpretation? Good. We are discovering meaning. Meaning. And this would be a good place, too, to bring in cross-references, wouldn't it? As we look at um, perhaps what other pa 
passages in the Bible speak to what we're looking at, okay, meaning and cross-references. What about principle? What are we looking for when we're discovering the principle? What are we doing when we discover the principle? Okay, a little more specific than that. Purpose, good. So I'll, we'll say purpose slash significance. And I want you to remember these words. Starting next week, we're going to be talking about these words quite a bit. Meaning, up in interpretation, and significance or purpose there in the principal stage. Okay, next week, we're going to talk about those words quite a, quite a bit, meaning and significance. And then finally, application. What are we doing in application? Okay, to who? How does it apply to who? Good, yeah. So, application, oh my. Well, it's harder than it looks, Katrina. <laughs> Apply, we'll say applying to self, okay? How does this apply to me, all right? Now, it's very important that we follow these steps in this order, isn't it? So many people start when they read their Bible down here. They'll read through a passage and say, well, how does this apply to me? You cannot answer that question if you haven't gone through these first three steps first. You can't answer it rightly, okay? Now, even the broken clock is right twice a day, et cetera, et cetera. People have been taught rightly in the past, and so they just have assumptions about certain texts that are right. But if you are doing personal Bible study and you're starting here at the bottom, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, okay? So let's look at Revelation 4. You've got Revelation 4 in front of you. And let's read, we could read the whole chapter because it's only 11 verses, isn't it? 1 through 11? Let's do that. Uh, let's have someone read Revelation 4, 1 through 11. Who's got it? Stan, I haven't heard you read a passage in a long time. Okay. Right. That's pretty exciting, huh? Uh, Roy, did you find your notes from last week? Do you have those? Yeah. Uh, does it go to Revelation 4? Uh, okay. All right. So it must have stopped short. Okay. And it does, yeah, and that's where it cuts off. Okay. All right. So what um, Todd Friel is going to want us to look at are those last three verses of the chapter, verses 9 through 11. All right. Now, we read the whole chapter, obviously, so we have a little more context, but let's talk more in this realm of observation about context and genre and things of that nature. I know it's a little daunting to talk about the context of Revelation, especially at uh, 9.45 on a Sunday morning, but here we are. Uh, let's throw some thoughts out there about the context of this book and even this chapter. Okay, so we could say this is in reference to a heavenly vision, isn't it? There's a heavenly vision taking place. All right. What else? 
a few more things. Okay, so it's not just a vision, but there's a voice. He's hearing things in heaven. Right? Who was Revelation written to? Do you remember? John wrote it, but who was he writing to? That's right. Yes, to the seven churches. Okay, so this is the apostle John. to the seven churches, okay? Then you read about those in chapters 1 through 3. What else? One more thing that we can throw into this category of observation. Okay. All right, so things... now and future, right? You read through the book of Revelation, and there are things that are future in there, and then there are things that are taking place now. Uh, So that's important to know, all those things, isn't it? And we could list a whole bunch more if we sat and thought through it. We could list a lot more, but for now, that's good enough. What about interpretation, especially verses 9 through 11? Start at verse 9. What are some things that we need to spend time interpreting in verse 9? This is Revelation 4. Robin. In verse 9, what, what's one term or phrase we should look at defining? All right. What on earth are these living creatures? Stan read the description of them earlier in the chapter, but I don't know if that helped very much. <laughs> what are these things? Okay, so the living creatures, what are some thoughts as to what these living creatures are? You guys got any thoughts? This morning? Okay. 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 So we could say unique. Okay. So we could put angelic. Okay. Unique and angelic, perhaps. Other thoughts or interpretations on those four living creatures? There are several interpretations that are floating around out there, like with many things in Revelation. Good. Good. Similar in appearance... to other creatures, we could say. Okay. Joe says aliens. I won't write that one on the board, (laughs) but I appreciate your input. (laughs) No, it's good. That's good. Any other thoughts on what these four living creatures might be? In the book of Revelation, could be kings, okay. Yeah, in the book of Revelation, basically, because there are so many different interpretations of the details out there, you could basically say anything and be like, yeah, it could be, right? Could be, could be. So you go on and on. So this could be um, perhaps a symbol, a symbol for humans, 
okay? Uh, perhaps there's a symbolic meaning for some human people. And we'll talk through some more possible interpretations later, okay? But let's maybe look at one more thing we could look at interpreting in verses 9 through 11. Look at verse 10. What's a term in there that needs to be defined? Yeah. Anybody got any preconceived notions on who the 24 elders are? Okay, so we could look back at um, Old Testament saints, possibly New Testament saints, fit in there too. This board is not nearly big enough, so this looks really messy. I'm sorry about that. Any other thoughts on who the 24 elders might be? Right, yep, that could be. Okay, let me throw two more possibilities out there. This could be angels. This could be a special class of angels. This could also be representative, representatives of the church. The, right, a rep, representatives of the redeemed, okay? So you see how kind of interpretations are endless here. There would be a lot of studying that you'd have to put in if you wanted to nail down what you believed this was talking about. But you could do it, okay? Well, let's move on to principle. All right, so you're looking at this. You're seeing the four living creatures and the 24 elders. You're not sure who these are. You think of all the possibilities that are out there of what these things could be. Well, what significance could there be for you? What enduring significance is there for other people? What do you see here? Good. So there is a worship principle here, right? Worshiping God alone, offering praise to God alone, the idea of casting crowns. Uh, there are some songs that talk about casting crowns. There's even a band called Casting Crowns, but casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. That comes from Revelation 4 right here. And if you were to go back and read that hymn, Perhaps you'd find out the interpretation of the hymn writer of who he believes the 24 elders are, or she. I don't know who wrote that hymn. But there's a principle here of casting what you have, what you've been given before God because you owe it to Him. Good. What about um, some theological principles, especially in verse 11? What can we deduce doctrinally from that great verse? That is a truly great verse. Good. Particularly in what specific action of his? Good. Yep. So, as evidenced by creation itself, God is worthy, right? And that kind of fuels then the worship, recognizing who he is. We respond that way. It's a great principle to extract from there. And so application. 
How does this apply particularly to you? Okay, good. So, we are His creatures. We owe God worship, so I'll just say worship in all of life. It is hard to write that far down. Uh, yes, we owe God worship in all of life. And you could even make application to the types of words that should come out of our mouths when we praise God. Ascribing worth to God? Have you ever prayed a prayer where you ascribe worth to God in your prayer? Even praying this very verse, you could do that, couldn't you? Because that applies to you. Because you see the principle here, that continues on, this still significant in this sense to you today. And so you could even apply directly verse 11 in the way that you pray, all right? So um, that was very quick, but I wanted us to go through the steps before we heard from him. Now, again, he does say something pretty goofy. I want to see if you catch it, and then we'll discuss after we hear from him. Okay. Sorry, I'm soundboarding. Okay. Uh, Did you catch the goofy thing he said? Did you catch what he said that was goofy, particularly goofy? It was in his, uh, it was at the beginning. Who did he say the four living creatures are? He said us. And he said even most commentators agree that it's us. Well, I checked six commentaries that I have on Revelation, and they all mention more commentaries. And none of them said that the four living creatures are us. I've never interpreted it that way. And I thought, well, who does? And I looked, and I couldn't find anybody who interprets it that way. And I thought, well, maybe he meant the 24 elders are us, because that's pretty common. But then he said in his interpretation step that his summary is that the redeemed and the representatives of the church will praise God with acts of worship. Well, the representatives of the church would have to be the 24 elders in his view, I would think. So that means he believes the four living creatures are the redeemed. And I have a hard time with that one. But anyway, uh, what did you think overall of what he went through? Was he, other than that, pretty well doing okay, you think? Let's judge him. It's okay to judge. The Bible tells us to judge. <laughs> yeah. Any anything in particular? Yep. Which is hard. It's hard not to do that because you start looking at things and you're observing and you're looking at stuff and then your mind jumps to interpreting. Uh, so there are lines get blurred pretty easily with all these steps, but you just have to be careful to remember to go in order. But, okay. Well, now maybe you know that passage a little bit better, hopefully. Um, we're going to jump into one more. It's Ephesians 2. This is actually where the sermon's going to be this morning. Uh, the 
covering this verse. I did not plan it that way. It just happened. So now you're going to be extra prepared for the message. We're leaving 1 Corinthians this morning for just a little bit. But Ephesians 2.4 is what uh, he wants us to particularly look at. I think really to get the context, we've got to read 1 through 7, and that's what the message is on, is those first seven verses. So would someone like to read verses 1 through 7 for us? Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. Okay, go ahead, Jessica. Is that a great passage or what? There are a few things to observe in there. (laughs) Well, let's start with observation. Now, again, we're looking specifically at verse 4, but for observation especially, you need to really branch out and look at the verses around it. So what do we observe from that passage, 1 to 7? Or even the letter itself? So there's a contrast presented, right? What we were versus who we are. Okay, good. What else? Who's the letter written to? Okay, the church of Ephesus. So, Again, let's keep it basic, written to Christians. Now, that's really important when we talk about who we were versus who we are, because with the we there, right? So, we were versus we are. The we, you got to understand, well, those are people who are in Christ. You can't just go out and take this verse and say it's talking about everybody. Now, here's me kind of blurring the lines, getting into interpretation a little bit, of course, but, but that's important, isn't it? It's written to Christians, okay? Anything else in observation? There's a lot said in those first seven verses. All right. Prince of the power of the air. Yeah, in the observation step, you definitely want to look for those phrases, terms, sentences that need particular definition. And that phrase kind of stands out there in verse 2 as, well, that's different than everything else that's being said. We've kind of, we're talking about something else outside of the human existence. So that needs to be interpreted and defined. What else? Yes, there's a bondage that's happening. Slavery. Now, this is really where I'm going to focus the sermon today. Let me see if I can help you see it. 
Of course, in verses 1 through 3, we have, what are the verb tenses in verses 1 through 3? Past, right? Again, we're, we just said we're talking about who we were, who the Ephesians were. So everything is saying, you were dead in your sins. You walked, past tense, according to these things. Um, verse 3, you formerly lived this way or that way. You were, at the end of verse 3, by nature, children of wrath. Look at the verb tenses in 4 to 7. What are the verb tenses there? Okay, there's a present effect, but look at the end of verse 4, love. The end of verse 5, talking about being saved or being made alive in verse 5. Okay, so there's a past tense throughout. And look specifically, what are you observing in verse 6? And seated us where? Well, it's not future tense. You, th- you think, oh, that's going to happen in the future. But Paul is here writing and saying this happened in the past. That's really juicy stuff for me, and I can't wait to preach on it in just an hour or so, okay? Um, all right, so verb tenses are important. So let's get into the interpretation. Interpretation. I'll leave you hanging a little bit on, on that thought. Um, let's interpret uh, Prince of the Power of the Air. What do we got for that? Mm-hmm. So, that leads us to believe, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go, Satan himself. Now, in that same verse, verse 2, what about that term spirit? Now, that's kind of interesting because spirit is singular, and what's the spirit doing? In in which people? Who are they? Anybody who's outside of Christ in their natural state, that's all people. So how do you define spirit who is in all these people? Okay. Is the spirit a person, though? <laughs> well, yeah, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. That's for sure. Uh, but I mean, when we make new, we have the Spirit Okay. Yeah, so that's really important, and one, one of the things I'll point out in the sermon, the end of verse 3, notice the phrase, by nature, children of wrath. So, no one is by nature a child of God. 
Everyone is by nature a child of wrath. That's a very important thing to grasp. And so as we consider that phrase too, when we interpret spirit, well, it could go man's nature. Okay, so the spirits now work in sons of disobedience that just the nature has fallen. You could say, um, this, like when we say the spirit of the age or the spirit of the hour or the spirit of the moment, that man is now in a sinful realm, existing in a sinful realm in his natural state. You could even go as far to say that that's Satan himself in the sons of disobedience, but you'd have to really work through that text and come up with your interpretation on that, okay? Different options for it. No, that's patently laid out in Scripture. Him, him. The Spirit is a person, not a it. So yeah, the, it says in John 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's His relationship with the world is one of conviction. However, it's a new covenant promise that God's Spirit would be put in a person. God, so that means that outside of the new covenant, God's Spirit is not in somebody. How do you get in the new covenant? It's by faith in Christ. Because not all people are in the New Covenant. That, mean, that would mean everybody's saved. And the New Testament, of course, doesn't use that language. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that's just not what the Bible teaches. Um, there wouldn't be any re- verse reference for that at all. Right. That is all of us, but that doesn't mean that He put His Spirit in every human being. It doesn't say that anywhere. In fact, it's by salvation, by regeneration. This is Titus chapter 3, that the Holy Spirit washes and regenerates the soul and then comes to live in. Um, Jesus talked about by embracing him, he makes his abode in the person. He and the Father make their home in the believer. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing to believers in Corinth, and he says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that kind of language is never applied to those who who reject Jesus. And that's the natural state of all people, according to passages like this. We're born into a natural state of rejecting God. And it's a very important aspect to grasp because if we're not in that state naturally, what do we need to be saved from? But if we're in that state naturally, we're in desperate need of salvation. Well, all people know that God exists. So there's not a, there's not a category of those who don't know and those who do know. The Bible teaches that all people know that God exists. But there are, are lots of people out there who suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And so they need, they're the ones who need to be saved. That's the state we were in before God saved us. That's it. Yep. It's a gift. It's absolutely a gift. Yes. Yes. 
You, all people know there is a God. There's no such thing as people who don't know there is a God. Absolutely. You're made in His image. You have a brain and a will and intellect. You can look around and see by creation to know that there's a creator. You can look into the night sky and the heavens declare His glory. You are just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1. You don't have a relationship with Him. You're not saved in that natural state, but the knowledge is there. And that's why in Romans 1, Paul says that all men are without excuse. Without excuse. Okay? Okay, got a little off, off track, uh, and we need to go quicker because <laughs> I want to finish this today. So verse 4 specifically, since that's the verse he wants us to look at, what is there to interpret specifically in verse 4? Okay. God's rich mercy and love. Okay. How would you define that based on the context of this passage? What is God's great mercy and great love? Okay. All right. Our salvation reveals it, doesn't it? Our salvation, the fact that He saved us, those who are Christians. Our salvation reveals this. And if you look down at verse 7, that makes it clear, doesn't it? In verse 7, He did all these things so that in the ages to come, He might show or display the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All right, let's do these quickly because these are pretty simple. Principle and application. What's the principle here or a principle? We could say salvation is a gift by grace. Good. So we could say we, meaning Christians, know God's love, don't we? We know His love through our salvation. And then the application. In what ways can you make application here? Yeah, your soul should find application, comfort, peace, rest is a great word. Anything else? Say that again. Yeah, this is, I'm going to use a, um, what is this, Latin? This is, Martin Luther made much of this, extranus, outside of us. God's grace and mercy and kindness and love is outside of ourselves. It comes to us. He comes to us. It's from outside of ourselves that we are comforted, okay? Yes. All these things that you've said are going to come up in the message today, so this is great. Remember all those things.